Welcome to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast, where we celebrate the craft of poetry. Each week, we feature interviews with incredible poets and artists, including Olivia Gatwood and A.E. Stallings, and original poetry read by the authors. I'm your host, James Moorhead, poet laureate of Dublin, California, and author of Canvas and Portraits of Red and Gray. A warning that this episode deals with subject matter some listeners may find triggering or disturbing. On this episode, we welcome poet Amy Baker and filmmakers Jason Greer and Vanessa Cicerelli. Amy Baker is the author of the Akron Prize-winning collection of poetry, Doe, University of Akron Press 2018, which was the subject of the documentary, She, Birdie and Bean Films 2022 starring Kate Mulgrew, Coco Jones, and Raven Goodwin. As a multi-genre writer, Amy's work has been published in journals such as Guernica, The Southern Review, and Black Warrior Review. Currently, she teaches at a university in upstate New York and is working on her next book. Jason Greer and Vanessa Cicerelli are high school sweethearts that have been together for over 25 years. Jason was born in Bozeman, Montana, and Vanessa in Montreal, Quebec. They now live in upstate New York where they raise their children and run a family business. They started Greer Cicerelli Photography in 2000, specializing in commercial photography and video production. Their work has been featured in numerous magazines and publications both nationally and internationally. Jason and Vanessa believe in telling authentic stories through photography or film. She is their first full-length film. What began as a passion project has taken on a life of its own, interweaving the weight of the forgotten with feminine beauty and the power of knowledge. Jason, Vanessa, and Amy, welcome to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast. Very excited to have all three of you here. Thank you for having us. I'm excited to talk about this very powerful movie and book that was the inspiration for the movie. But let's start, Amy, with you to provide listeners context what inspired you to research and find the poetic voices of missing and unidentified women? Um, I had been in uh, living in Arizona and read an article about an unidentified woman who'd been found in um, Phoenix nine years before. And I was just stunned by her case and by the fact that, you know, no one knew who she was and I hadn't heard of her previously. So I started investigating what I could find about her story. And that led me to so many more stories of missing and unidentified women. And it just felt like that I needed to do something. And if my, my skill set is writing, then I was going to try to call attention to their cases in whatever way I could. So, Amy, again to you. So, Doe tells such a wide range of tragic stories from widely reported stories such as the disappearance of a 1940s aspiring starlet, Jean Spangler, to the unidentified remains of women whose stories have barely been told, particularly women that are of color. How did you make the excruciatingly difficult choices of which stories to capture in poetry? Oh, that's a, that is a tough question. Um, so, so first I would, I'm going to say that I researched, it has to be like thousands of women. And that also means that there are thousands of women's stories that I didn't even encounter. 
And there are thousands of women who have gone missing since I've written Doe. And so when selecting um, them originally, I, I sort of just, you know, followed stories that like struck me visually um, that I could, I could picture something about the case that resonated with me personally in some way. And part of the way through the process, I realized that I was, I was really leaning into stories that, um, where there are a lot more pieces of information available, um, and that those women tended to be younger white women, more information available about their cases. So partway through the project, I really had to be very intentional about making sure to check my bias and my perspective to make sure that I was capturing what actually is the landscape of missing and unidentified women in the United States and to be extremely inclusive um, in my practices that way. Well, I interviewed uh, Olivia Gatwood last year, who's uh, written about this topic extensively and how true crime in the media tends to skew heavily towards um, white women and that there it doesn't represent at all. So I'm, I'm glad that you took the, the effort to be more inclusive in telling these, these stories. So Jason, Vanessa, how did you first become aware of Amy's book and poetry? And what drove you to take on the complex project of transforming the collection of poems into the documentary She? And I had a little experience with filmmaking. Um, I, I had worked with an animator to turn one of my poems a couple years ago into an animated short film and then did another short film with a with an art institution last year. And, and those were tiny things compared to what you accomplished. And it's a ton of work. Uh, so what what got you so inspired that you wanted to n tackle what you knew would be a lengthy effort? Okay, well, I we, we come from a very small town. So we knew we knew about Amy and uh, and her book. So I, I got a copy and I was reading it. Um, and I just was blown away by we know that women go missing and we know that um, that there are, are unidentified women, but we just don't really think of, I guess, those numbers or or think of like um, just the, the person themselves so much as as the case. Right. Everything is is like put out there as as cases. And and so it was my first time really being exposed to as like learning about each of the women individually. And I kept telling Jason, like, if if he wants to experiment with doing a documentary, Amy, Amy is a good topic for this and and her poetry. So we started having that conversation and then um, approached Amy about it. And I'll let Jason talk about the the actual visuals that we yeah and and, and this project it didn't start out to be to be a feature length documentary that really it started out just as we, we do in our our personal business is photography and videography and and that type of stuff so we kind of wanted to to go this route and thought that we could do a short documentary 20 minute 15 20 minute documentary with amy and it'd be something simple um but after we got amy in the studio and filmed the interviews and that there was just so much information and um just so much more needed to be said about about the subject so it kind of snowballed from there and was our our major introduction into to really producing a full-length feature film so it was uh two 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 and a half years of work 
to get to the point where we're at now. Yeah, there's no uh, the time frame for anything to do with film is years. There's no days or weeks uh, unless yeah. you're just putting something on social. So Jason, Vanessa and Amy, take us behind the scenes and discuss how you approach transforming Doe into the documentary She. You've already touched on the fact that it started as a short and turned into a full-length feature. In particular, how you took advantage of the additional tools available when making a film. I'm thinking of elements such as having a narrator, the background vignettes. You know, How did you maintain the poetry, which I'm sure Amy would feel very passionate about, and incorporate things that are unique to film and blend them so effectively? And that's that was, a good question. Yeah, yeah. And that was and that was a challenge. Um, at first, you know, at first it was basically just an interview with Amy, um, and we really did try to um, figure out a way that we could we could bring in that the information about the cases as well as the poetry and and Amy herself in a unique way. Um, you wanna? We we really wanted to focus, I guess, on keeping it um, as beautiful as possible as well. So. We wanted it to kind of reflect Amy and everything that she's worked for and everything that she is. So um, we wanted to keep it very um, beautiful and but personal to her. And we went the route of having the three voices so that we could incorporate as many women as possible as well. So it was just trying to trying to make this project really um, about not just the disappearances and these horrible things that happen, but women and, and keeping everything very, I guess in, in a, in a nice way to honor these women. Um, we also stayed very true, uh, to the cases. So we, we did a lot of research and finding actual like photos and videos from the times and locations as best we could to represent what, those visuals would have been at the time, newspaper articles. And then um, and then when it comes to the poetry, really trying to do, you know, something similar, trying to bring some visual aspects to to the poetry. Uh, we still have the, the words of the poem on the screen as they're being read. So it kind of allows you to, to read the poems as well. You're not just listening to the poems necessarily. And maybe, Amy, how did you help make the choices of which um, stories, which poems to include and which not to include. I'm sure there were a lot of factors, again, that could take advantage of um, of what was possible with film. Right. I mean, um, you know, and initially when it was just going to be the, the short documentary, um, it was really sort of casual, like the, the cases that um, I think like really had resonated with me in that moment that I wanted to talk about because I've been, I've been, you know, doing public readings of Doe and, um, and talking about so many of the women in the book. And so when I sat down to do the interview, it was just, it was really the, the cases that, and the stories of women that people had responded to that I, you know, felt comfortable talking about in the moment. Um, and from there, you know, or rather from the start, like what I've always said to like Jason and Vanessa and also the musicians who are, are part of this project as well is that, you know, like Doe, Doe is like mine, my visualization and effort of like what this could be. Right. And then the film has to be its own entity and its own creative vision um, as, as well as the music. And so I, you know, 
really I was turning it over to other creative people to to do their own project with what I had already done. Um, you know, with some really guidelines, like I really didn't want it to be graphic mm-hmm. or, you know, we didn't, we agreed that we all did not want in like any like reenactments or mm-hmm. that sort of thing that, you know, a lot of true crime really leans into. Yeah, being kind of sensationalist or exploitive. And and neither of that's true with the book or the movie. It's very touching and moving, powerful without, you know, employing kind of shock value. There's no shock right. value at all, which is really effective. Yeah. So, Amy, the poems in Doe so mm-hmm. delicately capture the spirit of the women profiled, poems that are deeply moving, but as I just mentioned, not sensationalized. In Patron Saint of Orchids, based on the disappearance of Nancy Wilcox, 17, missing since October 2nd, 1974, you write, Pray that the orchid stripped bare of fruit does not cloak her body in its hollows, that her limbs are not rooted in its undergrove. Stay her from his cunning tongue, the one that would hiss along her ivory neck, and sheathe itself in the sockets of her limbs. How did you approach achieving a balance between the stories of these women and the tragedy of their disappearance, which I think is what makes this, the poetry so effective? I mean, it's like incredibly difficult because, you know, much of, much of true crime genres, like I find actually really uncomfortable. And um, part of what I feel like I'm now doing is, is transforming like what is true crime and what can, can true crime do. And so when I'm, was investigating the women, there was this fine balance between capturing the the image and not making it sensational or graphic, right? Um, So it really took a lot of effort to stay true to their stories and what I know of their stories without also fictionalizing or um, supposing what might've happened. Mm. And, you know, that transformed over time. My, my earlier poems are a little bit more fictionalization of like what might've happened, but particularly for the, the patron saint series, I, I wanted to capture more the sense of what it is like to be women in the United States and this collective voice like what if, what if we offered our collective voice to transform what is happening in these poems? And so, Jason and Vanessa, maybe talk a little bit about the vignettes that you create in the film and the narration and scripting of that, and how you achieve that balance with the the portion that wasn't written by Amy that isn't uh, directly from her book, but is really capturing context on the history of these women to the extent it's known. How, how did you approach that challenge of maintaining that balance? So the, the script and, um, the, the narration was actually written by Amy. Oh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't catch that in the credits. Oh, that's very cool. Well, that, that, that's partially explains why it blends so well. Oh, that's terrific. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Amy, Amy and her husband, Jeremy did, uh, you know, from Amy's notes and, and other for the research wrote the actual narration that that Kate Mulgrew's uh, voice carried throughout the film. We really wanted a, a separate voice for that, really just to to lay out those actual facts of the cases and really kind of give give that background to the to the poem itself. 
Um, and then Amy's portion of, of talking about you know, her process and, and of, of each poem. Uh, and then the third part is the actual, the poems themselves. And same thing, we wanted the visuals to represent the, the poetry uh, and the case in, in a way that would, would feel natural um, and try to bring in, bring in the, that kind of sense the sense and the mood that that each of those poems poems had. Now, getting uh, landing Kate Mulgrew to do the narration was quite the coup, I have to imagine. <laughs> and uh, so, to maybe talk a little bit about how you were able to connect her to this project, even to get in touch. Time. <laughs> I, I reached out to. I've reached out to a lot of people. Being being a first time filmmaker, you know, I don't have. I didn't have a whole lot of connections. Um, to, to go with, so I, I used whatever avenues I could to 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 find and to get people. But honestly, we, we had a lot of interest in the film, and we had we had a lot of um, different options we could have gone with in, in different directions. And we kind of had the the voices of of the film. We wanted them to be distinct and different, and to um, be. Word I'm to say. And kind of to represent different women of different ages and backgrounds. Mm -hmm. so, right. And Kate has like just such a powerful and distinct voice. Like, oh my goodness. Like I, I you know, in predicting things that I would do in my life, like sitting in on a Zoom session, watching Kate read the script that I wrote, like was not really on my bingo card at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations. A perfect voice for the film. And it also, it just, I think as a first time filmmaker, you must've been thrilled because it adds a, a credibility to the project uh, that's invaluable. So congratulations. So Amy, this is more of a technical question. You employ a variety mm -hmm. of forms throughout Doe. The Body in Motion is one of several prose poems. Uh, Scorpirus is a variation on a contrapuntal form. Here the Heart incorporates what reads like found poetry from police reports and so many other forms that you've employed. How did you approach finding the form that best captured each story? And as a poet myself, I know that uh, some of it is just it feels right, but maybe go through the mm -hmm. thought process of how you turned the poems into formed poetry that matched the subject matter. Right. So, you know, my background is in fiction writing. That's like what my degree is in. And so I took I took a single poetry class and it was on um, prose poetry. And so I initially envisioned like the entirety of the book being prose poems. Um, and you, like I feel like I can see the history of the development, like as I'm reading, reading the book myself. Right. Um, and so, you know, part part way through as as i was constructing these these prose poems it started to feel like what i was offering up was just like this same thing right and that in some ways like i was doing a disservice to these stories by having the form be the same throughout and so that's when I challenged myself to really think through how could form better represent what I was trying to explore in each poem and tell each story. And so I think like increasingly over time, they became more fragmentary, particularly for like the women who we do not know much about them. And so like hopefully what I managed to do is have the form represent that that feeling, that falling apart feeling, that 
disconnected feeling um, that I was getting from their stories. Yeah, disconnected and also just there's a lot of de- there's so many details that you don't know and the the most critical mm-hmm. detail is where are they um, exactly. in many cases. And so I think yes, your use of uh, your you made a very good call there to to not only employ yeah. prose poetry, it really really works very effectively. Yeah, it was like it was back in the era in which like I I feel like when I started writing don't like you know that's like when like sentence as a literary journal like was alive and while like like prose poetry was like the thing (laughs) um so i i'm glad that i i moved away from from that because it it's effective in some cases there's some like amazing books of of prose poetry but for this particular project that like did not seem like the right fit so this is a question for all three of you so the documentary and book perfectly complement each other. After watching the documentary, She, which is what I did first, I immediately wanted to read the book, Doe. What do each of you hope readers and viewers will take away from what you've created? You know, and I, I say this in the film as well. Like, I think that poetry gives us an opportunity to linger longer on these stories and spend a concerted amount of time thinking about the women, wondering about the women, hopefully then feeling moved to look up more about them. Um, but really what I would like their experience to be viewers and readers, what I would like their experience to be is, is moved to consider women and their stories and to sort of not just like scroll past quickly or, you know, move past stories, right? Like, I think there's some stories that strike people and they become like media sensations, but just really have people reconsider their role as like the public in amplifying these stories. I think one of the things, especially we we had the chance to do some screenings locally and afterwards having discussions with some of the people that were in the audience one of the things that struck me is women know these kind of things happen, but the male audience members, and there weren't very many, but the ones that did come um, were really, I, I think, I think they were thinking on a different level than they have in the past about, about women and, and the dangers women face on a daily basis. So for me, I think spreading the awareness of these things and, and just letting Letting men know that yes, these things happen, and women are are often nervous about these. But also, like our our son is is fifteen, and he watched this film. And uh, afterwards, he said, "I think this should be required for men for for boys in high school to watch, so that they know not only how to um, be around women, so they don't make women nervous, but also to keep an eye out for their female friends." when they're leaving a party or when they're leaving an activity together. So that was something that I, I didn't set in to kind of do this, but it was uh, an unexpected benefit, I think, of this spreading this awareness to men, particularly young men. Um, and I, I don't know. And for me, one of the things that is what we set out to do with with the documentary and Amy's book as well is is kind of reshape the true crime documentary. It doesn't have to be 
salacious. It doesn't have to be that. I mean, and it was easy. It was a learning experience for me as well. It was easy for me to throw in reenactments or, or imagery that I could, you know, that would fit into here that would probably, you know, push it more that direction. Maybe, you know, maybe get even more viewership. Uh, I spoke to other directors and publishers and, um, during the filming of this and they're like well if you put the serial killers in there if you put some of these names in there we can sell this better and that really you know and and that's and that wasn't the goal of this film and it doesn't need to be the goal of this film it, it's it it can stand on its own two feet and it doesn't need to be salacious to do that i'm, I'm glad you resisted the especially as a first-time filmmaker where you're at that point where you're most anxious to get a project done you didn't succumb to that advice that was not really morally grounded advice in my view so amy a couple more questions before we get to hear amy <laughs> reading her poetry what? amy in bone woman about an unidentified woman discovered in may 7th 1990 in rogers arkansas you write even on the ground the collector could tell the trajectory of the bullet one sharp burst through the skull this is what it is called not head or brain but skull a matter of bone. You know, we've talked about so much of the poetry in Doe is beautiful, sad, melancholic. There are also small moments where the horror and terror of, this, of the stories is captured, but even then it's captured in a way that's very poetic. And uh, we talked about this a little bit, but more specifically, how did you balance telling these stories in an unflinching way, but be respectful for the victims and families, which in many cases, the, the surviving family members are still here with us? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that that first step, the the first step of of not making when the women I was writing about clearly they're missing or unidentified because of an action of another human, right? Like a serial killer or just a killer. Um, that 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 first step, the not naming that person and centering their story was the beginning of it. And then the second, in terms of like really in the creation of the poem and how to manage that, I think that there are really easy images to pull out of, um, of bodies that have been left um, that are, are graphic and gruesome. And I think that families are often inundated with 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 those images right they have to think of their loved one in conjunction with the thing that has happened to them which is often brutal so for a lot of the poems i leaned in instead to descriptions of of nature and place um and when I had to include details, um, I tried to do it in a way that was putting forth kindness and caring um, of the individual first. So, like I'm like the poem, the book really resists like that graphic nature that would would have turned these into something much more sellable, I'm sure, but also just um, ethically not grounded in what I do. Well, also I think that it, the, it would have been easier to write those graphic elements, but it would mm -hmm. not have been as poetic. Like the poetry right. would have lost out to be so, to take that easy path. 
Yeah, which is, I think, like one of the the strengths that poetry gives us, right? This this ability to turn turn away from those things and to make it something else. So Jason and Vanessa, what advice do you have for first-time filmmakers after starting with a short and then say, well, what the heck, let's make it a full-length film and we'll get Kate Mulgrew pulled in. What the, you know, you know, what did, what are the, maybe you, there's probably a thousand things you learned, but what are the top couple of things you learned about going from this idea to a, to a successful release of a, of, in this case, a documentary full-length feature? I, I think the the main thing is is you got to have some you have to have passion for the project that you're working on if you know it it wasn't it wasn't as much work as it was a, a passion project um and really you know and working working with a good team good people we had a lot of a lot of great people who had helped to work on this film with us um and the other is just just not to not to give up and to 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 move on you know i've like i said i we re- i reached out to half of Hollywood, <laughs> um, most of which don't, re- don't respond, um, to a first time filmmaker, but you know, remarkably a lot of them do. And I had some great conversations with, with people, um, that didn't necessarily contribute to the film, but actually give us feedback and, and did some, some major help, um, in, in directions and things like that with the film. Um, and then it's just really, it's just keep going and not, uh, not to compromise. Um, you know, if you have an idea and a thing that you're really passionate about, you, you do need to stick to your guns and you need to, you need to do, to do that. It's, it's easy to, to lose track of that and make a, to make a dollar and sell your film. But I don't think it would have nearly the same impact that it does if, if we would have done that. And then I would say also, um, cause there's a lot of people, when you say that you're going to start a film, there's a lot of people that are kind of naysayers with that and do you have the money for this do you have the the means to do it have you done this before do you have the experience I say just start (laughs) just start and then worry about the other stuff as you go um the main thing was just for us to actually get the ball rolling and sometimes you just have to figure it out as you go and not have everything answered ahead of time so mine would just be if you want to do it get started (laughs) That's great advice. And then, Amy, the similar question for you is most uh, collections of poetry are just that. They're a collection of poetry. They're written. Each poem is in isolation. They don't naturally fit together, and you have to kind of find a way to create a narrative. In this case, you did what's, you know, a project book. Um, mm-hmm. And what uh, what did you learn and it took, and you talk about this in the documentary, but you know, it took it took years, and you had breaks in between, given the nature of the subject matter. Um, what, what's your advice for a poet or a writer that's embarking on a project book? That, that things that right. you learned, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I, one of the things I talk about is that this, particularly as a project book, though, you know, was was emotionally difficult and. And that is part of me stopping um, and collecting myself repeatedly through the creation process, right? But project books as a whole, like you are returning to the same thing over and over, right? So there is um, the, one of the beautiful things about poetry is like you write a poem and then the poem is done 
and you might like edit it, but like it's like you get that like thrill of creation, right? Um, that is very much delayed in a project book. Mm-hmm. Like there's like something nice about like, you know, finishing one of the project book's poems, but then you also know that there are many more poems <laughs> down the road that you have to create um, specifically thinking through all the aspects. So it takes a lot more planning um, and it takes like a, a lot more dedication to really seeing the vision through to the end, right? So like not changing your mind like partway through and and abandoning the project. So I think it's it's a little bit harder to like breathe a project book into life because you really have to be invested in the idea long-term. Well, Amy, I'm thrilled to turn the mic over to you to read selections from Doe. In the Cursed Country, Unidentified Woman Discovered December 2nd, 1990, in McDonald County, Missouri. Who we are is not tethered cords or the way our skin reflects winter light. We are grace because memory is a parachute that falls quickly until it lights with a flamed match. Grace in that the fox knows the way to worry bone, breaking it open to the soft marrow. Grace in land that remembers it needs to yield to coming frost, that preserver of death. Grace in a woman who never forgets how to carry the weight of another human home again. This is part of the longer poem um, about patron saints, and this is Patron Saints of Martyrs for Nancy Baird, 23, missing since July 4th, 1975 from Eastlake in Utah. Pray that if he arrives at that lonely gas station, he finds her armed with a sword that will spread his blood across the ground like rubies. Pray that she is ready to usher him toward his last breath. But if she is not, pray that women will never go to bed dreaming of the taste of his skin across their tongues. Let them know he would poison them, strip them of heartbeats and the feeling of morning air ivory sharp against their faces. Let them know if he could, he would wrap his fingers in their hair and yank into the crack of their necks is the only sound to split those endless nights. Pray that we care enough about our own survival. Pray she doesn't back down or that we rise with her. Pray that together we tear this world apart light him on fire in one sharp electrical burst. Pray that this life is something we need not fear, that desolate roads and backwater stations are our haven, that the darkness of night is our cloak. Pray we do not become martyrs. Battle lines. This is for an unidentified woman discovered March 1st, 1992 in Bitter Creek, Wyoming. I once kissed the ruby flesh of a hummingbird held against a rest stop sign. On a day before I left, my body in ice at the curve of a prairie road. In this life, our blood is what we make a fist against anger. We tattoo roses to our chests, memorials to love and lost fortunes. What we sell is ourselves to the fluttering of breath 
when the darkness is a memory of miles drifting past windows of light. We lose markers to tell us who we are, where we are from, because it is everything that matters. Out here, our children are being eaten by wolves. Do you hear them? Wonderful. That's my one of my favorite parts of each of these Vila Swings Poetry Podcast interviews is hearing the poet in their own voice. Uh, it just brings the poems to life in a, in a unique way. So Jason and Vanessa, um, obviously the book dough impacted you deeply or you wouldn't have gone on a two and a half plus year journey that you're still on now as the film's getting out there and promoted. So how did it impact you personally? And you've already mentioned one thing is your son believes it should be, um, you know, mandatory viewing and reading uh, for students. Uh, so how has it affected you personally and changed you in some way? I think personally, um, it, it's, it has opened up more discussions with our own children. So we have um, a teenage daughter as well. So I think it's, it's changed how we talk to them about bad things we see in the media, um, a way some about how it could be avoided on the end of the victim, but then some about how that shouldn't have happened in the first place because it, it, we should be able to exist more safely, I guess. So, but it's just, it's open more discussions. I think it, it kind of maybe makes us a little more protective in our parenting. Um, it's definitely made me feel like having the kids in karate was the way to go. Um, so it's, it has, I, and I, I think it also changed a lot of how we consume other documentaries about true crime. Um, I think before we would just watch true crime on television and take it for as it was. And now sometimes I think we get a little angry about how some of these victims are portrayed about some of the details that are put out there. Um, some of the photos that are chosen of the victims sometimes make it look like these things were deserved instead of showing how they were on a daily basis. Um, and I think it's also made me feel like, like in the past, I, I think a lot of people have the idea that when a woman goes missing, she was kind of asking for it in a way. Like there was some risky behavior involved. There was some something on her part that should have been changed. But I don't believe that. And I, I think it, it's, it's making us just think about things on a different level from a different way. I think Amy has helped us grow in a positive way. <laughs> yeah. And as, you know, and as a, a man, these, these aren't things that we think about or have to think about on a daily basis. I mean, I'm not generally afraid for my safety when I go get groceries or go get gas at night. Um, and it's, and, and I don't, you know, we don't think about it for ourselves and we don't necessarily think about that for, for the women that are out there, um, you know, that they, that they don't have the same freedom as we do. Um, so yeah. And as a, as a parent, as a, you know, as a father of, of a, of a daughter, and that it does definitely make you a little bit more more cautious. I had a a lot of people that I know that came to the the films and they texted me after and they're like, my daughter was going to the 
do something tonight. And I was like, no, I'm going with you. <laughs> like, so it, 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 it is, it is something that, that we need to think about more. And, and I think this, this project definitely opened my eyes for that. I mean, we don't want to all live in fear. And at the same time, we don't want to be naive to the reality, unfortunate reality of the world. And I think this captures it in a way that, again, doesn't put the blame on the victim. Um, that's the last place the blame should go. And as soon as you take the blame exactly. off the victim, then it expands the set of people that need to be aware of this. If you if you blame the victim, then it's like, oh, well, it doesn't apply to me or it doesn't apply to my kid or this. And you can just sort of wash it away as not applying. But it, it applies to everyone, um, women in particular. Um, yeah, so I think it very powerfully achieves that goal. So Amy, finally, what are you working on now? What's, uh, what's your, what's your current project? Oh goodness. Um, so I, I said, you know, at some point recently, like the, like working, working on Doe, working on She has just like really reaffirmed like what I think writing can do and what I want my writing to do, which is to like, if, if my, the rest of my life is like amplifying stories of women um, and exposing issues of violence, like that is my trajectory, right? So I can't say specifically what I'm working on, but it's I'm working with a woman to write her memoir. It's a true crime memoir um, from her perspective. Um, and it, it really just amplifies a story that um, has been crowded out by other media outlets, like the way in which her story has been told for her is um, not it. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're working on that. And then um, Jason and Vanessa um, have asked, asked me to write a script for a documentary that they're currently working on. Terrific. And Jason and Vanessa, same question. What are you working on now? It sounds like uh, that that's a hint to one of the things. <laughs> so we're, yeah, we have actually two, Two new documentaries uh, we're working on simultaneously. Um, one is on uh, an artist, uh, Jackie Lee McLean, um, and kind of her her journey to find herself and her voice in the in the world and in the the music industry. Um, she has a, a famous father that she's kind of in the shadow of, um, and it's not always been a good shadow for her to be in. So, kind of her her way of finding finding herself in that. Um, and then the, the newest documentary, which we actually just started filming a couple weeks ago, um, is about um, Ida Boulard. She's, a, she's an artist that is in New York State. Um, she's French, Jewish, um, descent that kind of went into hiding and escaped during World War II. And kind of her journey from there to, to the United States and her, her adventures and in, in business with her, I guess, uh, partner. She was, she was with a man for 35 years and had a son with him and they, they built some, some pretty substantial business, uh, projects. And then after 35 years, he, he left her. And since they were never legally married, he pretty much left with, with all of the assets. Mm. Um, so kind of her, her journey and her, her story, her, perspective of, of the world which is a very positive perspective actually so it's it's a it's an interesting interesting project 
Well, I look forward to reading and seeing what you both, uh, what all three of you come up with in the coming years. And uh, in the in the show notes, as well as on the article that accompanies this on VelasWings.com, there'll be links to to uh, to buy and read Doe and to watch uh, She, the documentary. And I want to thank all three of you for being on the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast today, for sharing your voices and stories. It's been a, a fascinating discussion. Thank you. Thank you Thank for you having us. us. Thank you. The Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast is written and produced by James Moorhead. You can follow me on Twitter at Dublin Ranch, subscribe to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast, and follow us on viewlesswings.com or on Instagram at viewlesswings. <laughs>